This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. Let me set the stage for you. We are back out at a restaurant. Mask mandates have been lifted here in the District of Columbia. Hope they have been for you as well. RIS is our host restaurant. Look, the conversation this week, folks, is going to be grim. The situation in the world is grim. We are reacquainting ourselves with language we haven't spoken in about 75 years. What is that language? That is the language of authoritarian expansionism through military means in Europe, with possible consequences not for just this year, but many years. The topic, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Our special guest Stavros Lambrinidis, he is the European Union Ambassador to the United States. Mr. Ambassador, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, I want to let everyone know, because you're listening to this over the weekend, we are recording this the morning of March 3rd. I don't need to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is a fast-moving story in Ukraine. So, some events may overtake this conversation, but we are going to begin with things in the here and now. So, Mr. Ambassador, just before you sat down, Michael Carpenter, who, as you might be aware, is the U.S. Ambassador the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, just delivered a statement that reads in part as follows. We have credible information that indicates Russian forces are creating lists of identified Ukrainians to be killed or sent to camps following a military occupation. We also have credible information that occupying Russian forces will likely use lethal measures to disperse protests or otherwise counter-perceived resistance. Your reaction? Well, this is information that has been out in the public, also with the U.S. administration for a while now, uh, and, um, and it's still valid. Uh, it's clear that Russia is engaging in uh, an unprecedented aggression in which it does not care for human life. Uh, even human life of Ukrainians, their brother nation or people, as they, uh, as they claim, um, so, um, of course, uh, it's entirely likely that they will try to target particular people, uh, including people in the government of Ukraine today, uh, and try to take them out, either uh, extinguish their lives or, or imprison them. Uh, what we are doing is providing at this stage uh, the maximum support that we can to those people on the ground, to the Ukrainian people who are fighting so heroically, but also to the leadership. And we're also imposing 
massive economic pain on Russia in the short, immediate term, but also in the longer term. We are changing the uh, calculus. If Putin is in the mindset to be thinking rationally, which is a big question, mm -hmm. uh, but people around him most likely are, uh, the calculus of this war for him, where it's going to take him and where it's going to take his country in the longer term. You know, killing people who are brother people to you, you know, you can fool your people, you know, uh, you know, uh, all the time sometimes, but you cannot do it all the time, all the time. And, and eventually the Russian people uh, who uh, now polls say 60% of them support this invasion, that's a majority of the people. But, you know, 60%, there's another 40% that doesn't say they support. And there have already been protests and arrests in uh, of course, Moscow, of course, and he's doing, he's doing that as well. So uh, we, I, I'm not I'm not underestimating the capacity of Putin to uh, to be uh, supremely repressive against his own people as well, or the propaganda machine in Moscow, uh, you know, feeding people you know one line for a long time. But uh, you know, at some point, all these you know have consequences. Do you disagree with my opening statement that we have to reacquaint ourselves with language, some 75 years old? About no. military expansion in Europe and authoritarian... No, uh, you know, no I don't. And, and you, you've seen Europe's reaction in the past uh, couple of weeks. We, um, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, very much uh, realized that this is existential. It does remind us of uh, the Hitlers and the Stalins of the past. Uh, yes, indeed, none of us in the States or in Europe thought this was possible again. But we have uh, a guy named Putin who is trying to bring that back. And he's doing it... Uh, in a sense, he's trying to to, to, to to literally kill two birds with one stone. He's, he's killing, as we speak, Ukrainians on the ground and trying to eliminate that country uh, from, uh, from uh, existence as an independent nation. Uh, and that is very local and very real and very bloody. But he's also trying to tear apart uh, NATO mm -hmm. and NATO unity. He's trying to tear apart uh, the United Nations and international law. He's trying to create a world where might is right. And if we allow Americans and Europeans that world to take hold, then it's not just Putin that we're concerned about. Think of all the other countries around the world that have regional military capacity to inflict similar pain on their neighbors. Uh, that's going to be a very nasty world, a very insecure world for Americans and Europeans, which is why you see us so um, remarkably united in facing this aggression now. The uh, lesson of 75 years of peace in Europe is prosper prosperity comes with it and stability. And those kinds of benefits that we have sort of Absolutely. gotten used to, and maybe, I don't want to say this directly, but possibly taken for granted. Yes, and this is unfortunately a lesson that Russia didn't learn. Of course, after the Second World War, Russia became the Soviet Union, uh, or if you like, expanded even more, with more aggression against other countries mm -hmm. around it. Um, and it never had the chance to learn from the European experience and the European Union experience. We, uh, in the Second World War, committed ourselves, um, you know, um, uh, uh, a war against each other in Europe, uh, and we ended up uh, committing the biggest human rights violation in recent history, the Holocaust. Yes. And we decided after that that there is absolutely no possibility for civilized nations to be able to survive if that kind of brutality was maintained. And we built a European Union precisely to ensure that we never again have the temptation, the desire, or the capability to launch such a war within our borders or around the world, for that matter. And in those 75 years, we became the most prosperous, the most peaceful region in the world. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful, wonderful family for Russia, mm -hmm. eventually, after the fall of the Soviet Union, to join, as so many of the USSR satellites did? Right. 
and now are prospering in peace and, uh, and uh, growth as the rest of the EU is. Well, Putin didn't take that side of history, and he's trying to push us back to the bloody days. Mm-hmm. and um, To a Russian imperium. Well, yes, except we are woke, both Americans and Europeans, also because of the experience of five years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to work very hard together to ensure this doesn't happen. I want to ask you about uh, Ukraine's application for EU membership. What can you tell us about that? Well, I think, look, I mean, as the European uh, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said, um, you know, any people who are standing out uh, and fighting so heroically for European values, uh, you know, belong to the European family. Uh, You know, membership to the EU is a process, is a long process, but the fact is that we are closer to Ukraine today uh, through the uh, association agreement and uh, and through everything we're doing, including recently for their electricity supply, um, than we've ever been. Uh, so, you know, we are very much focusing on uh, ending this war, and uh, uh, we absolutely will focus on continuing to um, support Ukraine and bring it closer to, uh, to the EU. Getting them in with membership, would that change anything in the near term? Well, that's not, it's not something in the near term is possible. I mean, membership is, is something that takes time. But what is changing everything in the near term is uh, what we've done in the past few years as Ukraine, especially after the Crimea invasion, came much closer to the EU. Uh, the, uh, the, the economy of Ukraine switched dramatically from relying on Russia and others to relying on the EU. Uh, it has flourished. Uh, Ukrainian, well, the reason they're fighting. Well, yes. Ukrainians, Ukra- Ukra- They've enjoyed the benefits of this well, association. Well, exactly. And, 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 and Mr. Putin didn't like that, obviously. Uh, because obviously what he's trying to do, as I said before, is to, he believes it too, uh, but he's trying to show it is that Europe, in fact, is weak, America is weak, that we are divided, that we are easily divided and conquered, and he thinks that what he does in Ukraine is an opportunity for him to prove that. He's been very unpleasantly surprised if that was his plan. NATO is more united than ever and is supporting, of course, the eastern member states of NATO now more than ever before. He wasn't doing it before this invasion. Uh, Putin's lie that he was uh, somehow under some terrible NATO threat of, uh, on his security, um, you know, has been laid bare. Uh, but now, of course, uh, NATO is will defend its territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the European Union, which requires, mind you, now this is something people don't know here. It's not a presidential decision or a congressional resolution or law uh, to impose sanctions in Europe. We need 27 independent countries to unanimously agree to impose sanctions. And Putin was sure that one or two of our member states would say, nah, Maybe let's not hit him that hard. Maybe not. And he woke up to the reality that his central bank's assets, uh, you know, are frozen, that his oligarchs are, um, you know, uh, chased around the world, uh, that his technological future is collapsing. Mr. Ambassador, let me stop you right there. We need to take a quick break. On the other side of this conversation, we're also going to talk about something that made headlines earlier this week, some conversation about donating fighter jets to Ukraine that fell apart. I'm Major Garrett. The Ambassador for the European Union, the United States, Stavros Lombardini, is our special guest. Back in a minute. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
from CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our thanks to Riss Restaurant, our host this week. It's going to be a water and coffee affair uh, this <laughs> afternoon because it just doesn't feel proper to have a big opulent lunch while we're talking about Ukraine. And Mr. Ambassador Stavros Lambrididis, who is the European Union Ambassador of the United States. Here's a headline dated February 28th, so earlier this week. European plan to donate fighter jets to Ukraine collapses. Many European Union countries were, at least in theory, a part of this conversation. What happened and what's going to happen in the future? Uh, nothing has collapsed, uh, it, but this was, uh, this was uh, not a part of the unprecedented announcement that we made as Europeans. And this is that the European Union will finance the transfer of lethal weapons to Ukraine from our member states. The EU itself doesn't own, uh, you know, guns. Right. Um, mem- it's member states do. It, it, member states do. But, we, so but, but the EU will collectively finance that transfer, immediate transfer of, uh, of lethal uh, aid, uh, including um, anti-tank, anti-aircraft, um, you know, um, and everything else that the Ukrainians need to be able to fight this fight. Uh, and um, uh, now member states uh, can, uh, uh, if they so choose, send other equipment as well, including aircraft. Um, but our focus now is uh, on ensuring that militarily uh, we can do everything we can to support the Ukrainians as a fight. You know, uh, I'm going to paraphrase Churchill here. He said this about the Greeks. I'm, 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 I'm yes. Greek, so during the Second World War. Uh, and I'm going to say that, you know, um, many people say that uh, Ukrainians fight like heroes, but at some point I think we will all say that heroes fight like Ukrainians because this is exactly what is happening today. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is bombing them. There are women and children huddling, um, you know, in bomb shelters or, uh, you know, under subway bridges, stations, subway stations, um, sometimes being forced to give birth there because of the bombs. Uh, there are... Uh, you know, uh, people being killed every day, innocent civilians. Uh, this is as brutal as it can possibly get. And um, we have decided something that we hadn't ever in our past history as European Union to finance lethal aid to another country. Now, at the same time, we have been for a longer time, way before Russia started this attack, uh, we had began coordinating much better as Europeans in making our defense stronger. Here's why. And this is why this is important. Because this is not just a short game as it is. It's also a long game. Russia will be there for a while. And if Putin plans to continue his aggression, he will f- wake up to a very, very brutal reality for him. So we are the second military spenders in the world after the United States, mm-hmm. our member states. Mm-hmm. Um, but we uh, do not always spend that money efficiently, and that is a problem uh, also for NATO, because in the end of the day, you don't want to have 17 different ba- battle tanks being bought by the 27 member states. You want to be able to design and to produce the most advanced battle tank out there in the world uh, to be able then to use it from, by everyone uh, to wreak havoc on, on, on those who are trying to attack you. So the EU has become much more coordinated on security and defense as well, and we are building those battle tanks as we speak. Mm-hmm. Also, that will be the biggest boost we can give to NATO strength that NATO could ever expect. Germany, you saw, announced that it would spend massively on its military. A huh? billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, a hundred. hundred billion. Um, you know, massively on its military. Um, all that 
is NATO weaponry. We don't have a Greek army and a Greek NATO army or a German army or a German NATO army. It's, the, it's one army. So um, NATO is going to be much stronger because of that as well. It already is. And the unity of NATO with the United States uh, you know, on, at its helm is fundamental here. I said it before. I'll say it again. Putin is trying to undermine Western democracies, and he has the United States and Europe in his sights. That is what he wants to do. He hopes to break us apart. This is the only way he can actually have any chance to be, in the long term, the big power that he wants to be, and we're not going to let him do it. Mr. Ambassador, acquaint my audience ever so briefly with your experience on dealing with issues of human rights and refugees. Yes. Well, um, the biggest crisis right now that we face, in fact, is a refugee crisis. And uh, there are international laws, and that's what human rights is, uh, that uh, obligate everyone to protect refugees. In the case of Ukraine, Europe has jumped in this and member states from day one. Again, on this date of March 3rd, one million refugees and counting. A bit, maybe maybe, maybe a, bit, a bit fewer, but it's, it's close to that number. Every single Ukrainian fleeing Ukraine, every single foreign non-Ukrainian citizen who has been living in Ukraine, uh, working in Ukraine, is able today to be received and taken in immediately by European Union member states. Some are in the front lines right now, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, uh, others as well. Uh, the European Union will be giving, uh, you know, half a billion euros immediately to support that kind of relocation. And we are also, probably see this in a week's time, uh, going to be offering uh, most likely a temporary protection status to everyone. So today they can come in and be protected immediately. But we, we, but we are proposing to our member states to agree that they get immediately also a residence permit, a right to work, a right for the kids to go to school, a right to health care. Uh, and this is something that we do because we will not allow Putin to kill those people and to kill their spirit. And if they are forced to flee now, well, they are the citizens of Ukraine. They are coming back, hopefully, to a free Ukraine soon. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, we have to play our role to protect them there. And you are familiar with this rule of law, this application, because of your experience at the United Nations, are you not, sir? I, I, I'm familiar because for, for, uh, for about six years before I became ambassador of the United States, I was the European Union's um, human rights envoy around mm -hmm. the world. Uh, and my job was to promote the human rights with all the power of uh, force and persuasion of the EU in virtually every, every bad spot. I had been to Russia, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, uh, in 2012-2013. It is when Putin was beginning um, his um, laws against uh, LGBTI rights, against protesters, against those he was terming uh, civil society organizations that were enemies of the Russian state. And we were standing by all those organizations, as we are today still, uh, to ensure that they could put up a fair fight against that effort, both political, uh, but also allow them to work. So. Um, Putin has been going that, th down this road uh, for a very long time. And, you know, there were some Russians at the time who were quite concerned with him mm -hmm. and who told me, uh, you know, Mr. Lambrinidis, you know what? Don't listen to what Putin says. Wait and see at what he does. Democracy is a process. It's not a revolution for us. It's an evolution. Um, watch us as we 
closely and slowly but surely move towards there. And I told them, I'd love to believe you, but every sign the EU has seen is to the opposite. And so, sure, take your space to make that transition if you think that you can convince Putin to do it. But in the meantime, be assured that we in Europe will be defending every one of your citizens who is uh, under prosecution by Putin. So we've got about a minute 30 to go, Mr. Ambassador, and we'll carry this conversation over to the segment three that follows. But I want to start it. That application of your wisdom about the trajectory, the downward trajectory of human rights. Others would say, look at what Putin did in Chechnya. Look what he did in Georgia. Look what he did in Syria, propping up the Assad regime, not only in Aleppo, but Idlib. This cannot be a surprise, but people have turned their head away. Yes, well, absolutely. And let me just say, as a parenthesis before I answer the, the broader question, uh, human rights war or law is one thing. Uh, humanitar- well, humanitarian law or law of war is another thing. They are related. Mm-hmm. But what Putin did in Syria uh, did awake a lot of people to the fact that he was ready then to violate every law of war, uh, targeting schools, children, and everything to achieve uh, whatever purpose. And the reason we have these laws in place in the international community is because we know that law can get that war can get extremely nasty. And even there, we have decided that there have to be some limits, because if you exceed them, if you're able to simply go and decapitate people in front of cameras, as the terrorists do, or if you're able to just target schools in order to intimidate a whole population by killing children, well, you know, this could be successful. This could be effective. People get extremely shocked if you target children. So the international community has said war should not happen, but if it does, it needs nevertheless to have some rules. He was breaking them there. But let me just tell you something. I'm going to stop you right there. We'll we'll carry this on the other side of the break. I'm Major Garrett. Segment three of The Takeout coming up in just one second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Again, welcome to Risk Restaurant. Again, it's a a coffee and water affair this afternoon. Conversation's pretty heavy, and we're going to act accordingly. Stavros Lamardidis is our special guest He's the European Union ambassador to the United States. Uh, continuing our conversation, Mr. Ambassador, not only uh, are there rules and there is the application of rules, Putin has violated them before. They've been applied with less vigor before. They're being applied more vigorously now. Your evaluation of that and also within context on March 2nd, we're recording this March 3rd, an important vote, the UN Security Council. Yes. I mean, and uh, General Assembly. Yes, and that was, and, and that was really a big deal. Um, Explain because, why. Because, because uh, for the first time, 141 countries, that's a record number, uh, condemned Putin's aggression, asked him to stop, asked him to withdraw his troops. And this is a complex world. When we're talking about democracy and human rights, uh, there are many countries around the world that are not committed ideologically or politically against rights. There are some, China, Russia. Uh, and they're not only countries that are ideologically or politically committed for rights, Europe, the United States, but there is a very, very big number of countries that are actually sitting on the fence. They're not committed human rights violators. They're not committed democracy haters. But they are 
not exactly there. They could always slide back. Those countries are the most important ones to be able to approach because that's where the, that's where the battle for rights and for democracy is going to be played. We know the bad guys and the good guys, but we cannot allow the sirens of the bad guys the to, to flitch. To, to, exactly, the persuadables. So in addition to everything else we did, sanctioning Putin, um, ensuring that we get military aid to the Ukrainians, we also engaged together with the United States uh, in a uh, concerted diplomatic battle around the world to ensure that we talk to every single one of these countries and to tell them, you may not like the U.S. that much many times, you may not like Europe that much, but you are a member of the UN and you've signed that charter and in your neighborhood you know that if might is right, you could be next by your neighbor, your stronger neighbor. This is existential for you too. Take a stand. And they agreed. Even if you don't live in that immediate neighborhood. Even if you don't live in that immediate And they agreed. And 141 countries voted in favor of the resolution. Who voted against? Russia. North Korea, Syria, Eritrea, and, oh, God, one other country, Belarus. Belarus, Belarus right. Of course, <laughs> of course, right? These are the against, and there were about 30 abstentions. I, I regret those. I wish China everyone, and India, conspicuous I, among I, them. And, 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 and a few others. I regret those, but never in the history of the UN has a resolution at the time of war, um, you know, and such a naked aggression gotten so many countries saying, this is not okay, this has to stop. Russia because of Putin, is becoming rapidly an international pariah. You know, the consequences of being an international pariah um, in Africa, in Latin America, elsewhere, you're going to see them today or tomorrow. But if you are a Russian strategist somewhere in the Kremlin that is not steeped in Putin's power or propaganda, right now, you're sweating. Mm -hmm. Because... Long term again, and we're going to get to what I fear will be a very brutal short term in just a moment, Mr. Ambassador. But long term, that means you are cut off from finance, you are cut off from commerce, international, you're cut off from sports, you're cut off from culture, you're cut off from the things that make life livable and sustainable. Major, you couldn't have put it better. I, I, I absolutely agree. You know, many people didn't notice this. Uh, you know, Eurovision um, kicked Russia out. Eurovision is the song context. Uh, contest in Europe, the ABBA, for your audience, you know, are the you know, multiple champions of, of, of Eurovision. Uh, Russian people were so proud to be included in that European family. It is soft power. And it was taken away from them because of this aggression. Uh, the uh, you know, Formula One, I'm not a big fan, but I know many people are. Uh, just uh, pulled the, uh, the Grand Prix out of Russia, end, over. Uh, but in the end of the day, what you mentioned at the beginning is the big thing. It's not just long term. Russia's economy right now is collapsing. The ruble is at the lowest level it's ever been. The interest rates for Russian companies to be able to borrow are 20%. It, they're debilitating for them. And it all happened because we sanctioned the central bank of Russia, Americans and Europeans and Brits and others together, and all their assets around the world that they could use right now to support the ruble. What happens if you cannot support your currency if you are Russia by using your international reserves? You have to make sure it doesn't collapse, that people don't rush the banks and right. take it out. How do you try to do this? You make an interest rate that is 20% high, hoping people will say, well, maybe I'll make some money of this, I'll keep the money in. 
who pays for that 20% if you actually don't take your money? The Russians are taking the money out anyway. Well, it's the Russian state, it's the banks, and they don't have the money because they cannot borrow or use now American or European markets to do so. And then, when your interest rate is 20%, I'm a Russian company, I want to make an investment, I want to go buy something outside the world, I have a 20% interest rate, can't do it, I'm not competitive. This is debilitating. And people have to understand this is also unprecedented. No one has really done that. I would say that uh, I was talking to someone the other day, um, uh, a, a, a Republican, in fact, friend in this country, someone uh, working the, in the previous administration. Uh, they said, uh, you know what? Maybe the, the sanctions on uh, North Korea and Iran are a 9 out of 10. What the U.S. and the EU have done together now for Putin is an 8 out of 10. This is just something that no one expected. They said this is unprecedented and this will hurt. That implies that there's two more levels to go to get to 10 to 10. Well, there are many things on the table. As Mm -hmm. we're speaking today, we in Europe are looking at many, many other things. Universal application of swift banishment, possibly? Well, you know, we already already banished about 70% of Russian banks from Mm -hmm. swift. Uh, and that has uh, many negative consequences for them. Uh, but of course, uh, we always keep an eye on whether or not um, alternative systems can be set up eventually, which would be a very, very bad thing for the world economy. Uh, so we are uh, very harsh there. But what we are focusing on now, Major, is we have to apply those sanctions we announced uh, and ensure that there's no way around them. Mm-hmm. And this is what our brilliant teams in Europe and in the United States are are doing as we speak. These are big sanctions. They affect virtually every bank in Russia. Meaning the the walls are not scalable. You can't get out from them. Impossible. Well, no, you can't. But look, when Switzerland announced that it would be applying the same sanctions, you want to see a a neutral country in the world? That's it. Right. You understand how what Russia is doing hasn't just shaken up the European DNA uh, but is is in an unprecedented way bringing Russia in front of some major decisions. You know what? It's putting hopes that he can replace the, the, the semiconductors that we are going to be stopping exporting to him that go into his military machine and, most important, go into his effort to transform his economy into a high-tech one, which he has to do because oil and gas in a few years' time will not be able to give him the money he needs. If he hopes he's going to get it from China, A, good luck, China is not producing them, B, well, if China did produce them and give them to him, if China does start buying massively the oil that we will not need in Europe in a few years' time because we are massively investing in sustainable energy, our own homegrown energy, is that poisonous embrace with the huge Xi Jinping compared to the midget Putin in that relationship something that Putin would have chosen voluntarily had he not decided to start his aggression on Ukraine? I very much doubt it. Yeah, the Russian imperium, he imagines, would fit in the back pocket of uh, President Xi. Well, I'm I'm, I'm sure President Xi is thinking this, which is why right now he is, uh, you know, I'm sure he's more than happy to see the world attention away from uh, from China, and uh, and he's more than happy to uh, be quite noncommittal about, uh, you know, the atrocities that Russia is committing in uh, in China, but uh, in uh, Ukraine, but you know, she will also have a decision to make because he has always his strategy has always been to position China as 
a global economic, not military superpower, although, right. of course, he is building that. Yes. Uh, his rhetoric has always been, you know, well, all the flowers can bloom. And what the West is doing, it's just, you know, you know, killing all these flowers, but I will allow you to bloom. And everything is nice and sweet. And, you know, it's been quite effective in some countries around the world. Mm-hmm. But the moment that they see him in bed with one of the biggest killers and aggressors in recent history, that's going to be a big challenge for China as well. So I'm, I'm guessing they're also thinking in Beijing how to calibrate this. Well, on that conversation with our special guest, the European Ambassador of the United States, Stavros Lambrinidis, I'm Major Garrett. We're at Risk Restaurant, back for segment four of The Takeout in just a second. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our thanks to Risk Residence right here in the West End of Washington, D.C. Uh, coffee and water on the menu only today. Topic Ukraine. Continuing that conversation with... The European Union Ambassador of the United States, Savros Lambrinidis. Mr. Ambassador, Fiona Hill uh, talked to Politico earlier this week to a reporter named Mara Reynolds. And one of the things she said is, and I quote, Sadly, we are trending back through old historical patterns that we said we would never permit again. The old historical patterns include Western businesses who fail to see how they help build a tyrant's war chest, admirers enamored of an autocrat's strength, and politicians' tendency to point fingers inward for political gain instead of working together for their nation's security. Do you agree with any of that or disagree with any of that? I agree that some of that certainly may have taken place in, uh, in the past, but, uh, but I also believe that Russia's invasion has uh, eliminated those three dangerous tendencies, uh, tendencies uh, and inclinations, and, and is done so uh, immediately. So... Today, um, And that those, represents, in your mind, a turning point. Oh, absolutely. Look, Europe is right next to Russia. You cannot defy gravity. Our, we are economically much more connected to Russia than the U.S. is. And yet, we have unanimously, 27 EU member states, decided on the most massive sanctions in our history that are going to be hitting us as well. Uh, and our economy is quite strong with inflation, with energy prices, with anything like that. We did not flinch for a second. Uh, and our companies didn't flinch for a second before we applied those. Um, we, um, you know, um, think think of this. We are going to be grounding, among other things, uh, the uh, the air fleet of Russia, which is mostly Boeing's and Airbuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to be doing this by stopping the export, not just of the planes themselves, but but, but of the, uh, you know, uh, repair, uh, spare parts and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, that is Airbus. That's a European company. Uh, that is going to giant be, European. That, th- that's going to be hit uh, very hard. Um, uh, 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 Germany announced uh, that it would freeze the Nord Stream two pipeline. A big discussion here mm-hmm. in this country as well for uh, for a while. Um, uh, Germany that uh, is reliant on uh, gas, uh, including Russian gas, as a lot of Europe is, uh, and yet uh, it made that uh, that announcement. Then, when it comes to politicians fighting. I have to confess, I, I think this is one of the biggest problems that we have 
certainly in Europe, we've had for, uh, for a while. Uh, you know, feeling comfortable in your democracy, uh, no doubt, allows, uh, and this is the whole point of democracy, uh, for, um, you know, uh, very different views and very, mm-hmm. you know, passionately felt views to be, to be expressed, but it also perhaps allows uh, for, for that um, expression to also split you apart to the point that you cannot really discuss, as you should in a democracy, as you would expect in a democracy, to be able to also change your mind. Because if there's no chance to change your mind, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, and there's no chance uh, to change your government, then democracy itself is under threat. Uh, these are fundamental tenets and principles. So here what we have is, suddenly, Russia has united everyone in Europe, from the right to the left. There's not a single voice. Well, there are some crazy single voices, but they are being so politically isolated today uh, that not even then believed that they would be, because in the past few years, they have been peddling their pro-Putin propaganda. Mm-hmm. They have been peddling, uh, you know, their, um, you know, usually right-wing, um, you know, extremist, anti-democratic, anti-liberal propaganda, and they have been sometimes getting away with it. And now they're realizing they're not anymore. And that is supremely hopeful. And when it comes to U.S.-EU cooperation, it's not just EU unity now is stronger, but EU-U.S. unity is stronger. We are the two biggest economies in the world by far, right? I mean, okay, China, I mean, Mm -hmm. depends on the exchange rate, of course. The two biggest open economies in the world, the two biggest democracies in the world. When we combine our power together, no one comes close. Mm -hmm. And in the past few years, we also faced periods where uh, this relationship went through turbulent phases for absolutely no real good reason. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what now? Every day, everyone who needs to speak to anyone across the Atlantic on Ukraine is doing it, whether it is for military reasons, for economic sanctions reasons, for diplomatic isolation of Russia reasons, and we are actually being effective and successful in working together. So today, I think what Russia did changed those instincts that Fiona mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. So we had this conversation during the break, and I know you want to talk about it. You made reference to it a moment ago. There is a dialogue in America that runs something like this. Europe, God bless them, made this rapid, we would say, radical transition to renewable energy. And they did not have a fossil fuel bridge that increased Russia's leverage, that incentivized Putin to believe that with that leverage, he could break apart the European cohesion on sanctions and the like. True, not true? And what do you see about Europe's energy sustainability future? True true and not true. So we are way too reliant on Russian gas. Uh, Russia is openly um, um, calling us an enemy and threatening us. There is no way in the world that we can continue being rely- relying on Russian gas uh, in the way we have been. So um, this is going to change. Not true in that... Um, if we became reliant on anyone uh, in the past few years, uh, it was not Russia, if you like, increasingly reliant, but it was actually the United States. U.S. LNG exports Liquefied to Europe, natural gas, yes. Yes, have skyrocketed, precisely because way before the Russian attack on Ukraine, we had identified this as an issue. So indeed, our ultimate strategic goal, we have made that into a European law. We cannot wiggle out of it is that we are going to become energy uh, carbon neutral. In other words, uh, you know, sustainable energy is going to be fueling our European economies of 2050. We're going to be producing this energy 
internally and importing it if it's clean. Mm-hmm. We are at the cutting edge on innovation on offshore wind, on solar, on hydrogen, which is going to be both for the U.S. and the EU, the energy of the future. Nobody wants to be um, caught up on the dirty economy of the 20th century when we have the chance now in the 20th century, especially after COVID, to indeed build back better. It's a slogan that you, use, <laughs> you guys use here in the States, but we've used in the, in, in the European Union also for a few years. So, so you know, it's, um, uh, we are going to have homegrown energy. Uh, uh, Russia is going to be becoming um, much less important. Gas will be a bridging energy. So it's not as if we are cutting off now. And facing the potential that Putin may decide at some point to weaponize his energy supplies to Europe now with this war, we have imported more liquefied natural gas in, in January and February than we ever have in two months. We have talked to different suppliers who are ready to divert the supply to us in Europe. We're going to be fine if Putin decides to weaponize for this winter. But Americans and Europeans have a much bigger thing at stake here. It's not just, you know, dealing with climate change and the planet, which is not a hoax. It's a real thing. And, you know, frankly, it's not the planet. The planet has lived for billions of years without humans. It'll be fine. It's about us. Yeah, it's about us, right? But it's also about winning the, the future economic growth, jobs growth, and technology growth battles that are raging out there, uh, and their economic battles. There are countries that are trying to uh, steal uh, or leverage other kinds of technologies and impose their own standards on them, hoping they will squeeze us out of the market. But again, Americans and Europeans together, the two biggest innovators in the world, I am not scared if we work together, and we're working on this as well together today. That is the voice of the European Union Ambassador to the United States, Stavros Lambertinis. He's our special guest, Mr. Ambassador. It's been a pleasure. We need to say farewell to our radio audience, to those on CBS News streaming and our podcast platform. Stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Our guest this week, the European Union Ambassador to the United States, Savros Lambrinidis. Mr. Ambassador, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So this is the fun and games part of the program. (laughs) These are not fun and games times. No. So um, I want to start on the probably the grimmer end, maybe the grimmest end of the spectrum before we get into the fun and games. In two or three minutes, let's have a conversation about I think what we collectively fear the next month could look like in Ukraine. What do you fear the most? I fear that Russia will uh, continue uh, killing indiscriminately. Um, and civilians and, will bear the brunt and, of that. Uh, with, with, without a doubt. Uh, I, I, I fear I've that I've read that their military doctrine is escalate to de-escalate. Meaning you just keep going. You keep pushing. You keep well, pounding. Well, it's not. Uh, maybe that's a military doctrine. It, does, it, it doesn't sound that brilliant to me. It's just, it's, it's, you know, I mean, once, once, you can, once you voluntarily put yourself in a situation where you're killing people, 
then obviously you have to continue killing them if those people resist. Mm-hmm. And in Ukraine, those people are resisting. Bravely, bravely, bravely. bravely. And, this is what, and this is what I think he wasn't expecting. And as I said, he wasn't expecting us to resist, Americans and Europeans, the way that we are, uh, on his aggression and on his grand plans. So, but yes, I think it's probably going to get bloodier uh, because, uh, you know, there's, you know, in the end of the day, there's got to be a negotiation, a diplomatic off-ramp. Yeah. He has not taken that up to now. Um, he will have to. He will have to. Uh, and um, we have to be ready uh, when that moment comes to be able to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, jump, to jump into that. But um, at the same time, uh, the uh, pain that he will be feeling because of our reaction is going to be there for a while. Quick appraisal of the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky. He has turned himself into the face of resistance and heroism and hope. Um, And I think that that is an inspiration to all. He spoke at the European Mm -hmm. Parliament two days ago, um, you know, from, um, you know, a place in Ukraine. Uh, And um, I... I, I was a I was a member of the European Parliament for seven years. I was a vice president of the European Parliament for seven years. I've heard many speeches, inspiring speeches. I've never seen every single member of that parliament from right and left jumping on their feet and applauding the way they did. He is becoming the face of the Ukrainian her- heroism, and um, and that's why also we will be standing on his side all the way and doing everything possible to protect him. Yeah, absolutely. So the fun and games part of this conversation is as follows. We have three questions we've asked every single guest. We're in our sixth year oh, of this well, program. I, I wasn't prepared for that. These are, these are good ones, the though. These questions? are good okay, ones. These I'm are ready. easy. These I'm are ready. good. So, Mr. Ambassador, um, what is the most influential book in your life or one of the most influential books you've read in your life? Um, favorite movie? And if you're on a long flight or a long train ride across Europe, let us say, and you're going to really enjoy some music, what is that music most likely to be? Uh, that's brilliant. Um, you know, uh, this will sound, this will sound a little too Greek to you. Uh, <laughs> Can't possibly be too Greek. But, but I would say, I would say the Odyssey and the Iliad are two books that I've read, uh, including in the ancient Greek, because I was forced as a young kid in my high school to do <laughs> it. And I, I, I don't wish that, that fate on anyone. Um, it just, th- those two books encapsulate, uh, so much of human nature, of the nature of war, mm-hmm. um, Anyone who hasn't struggle read them, and survival. Anyone yeah. who hasn't read them up to now, of, of the temptations that come in people's lives and mm-hmm. how you overcome them, uh, of heroism indeed, but also while, and how you can avoid some terrible situations, not necessarily by jumping and falling right in front of them, mm-hmm. but also find a way a- around them. So um, the, the lessons of life, uh, but just also the beauty of the, of the language mm-hmm. uh, in those books, I think I, I carry forever. Uh, my favorite uh, movie, you know, I haven't thought th- about this for a while. I, there are just so many great ones, but um, I think the movie that made me love movies was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Uh, I just, I was just taken, I, I was just swept away. I, I think Nicholson gave a performance that I haven't seen in my life before or since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was many decades ago. Yes. So I apologize to your younger crew. It was probably just... <laughs> You know, just Googling uh, right now. What, oh, what is this? Look it up. Are, yeah, look it look, up, kids. Look, look, look up, kids. But what I found amazing about that movie as well, and, and it's actually, a, a, you know, something that maybe has, um, you know, been determinative in all my life, uh, was that it dealt with this, you know, these people who were um, in a psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. with repression um, by a system against them mm-hmm. when it shouldn't exist, 
with uh, with the, the the capacity through wile and through force to resist mm -hmm. and to try to break out. That was brilliant. And uh, and the third question was, if I'm on a train in Europe, where do I go? Uh, no. Uh, what music do you listen to? What music do I listen to? Um, that you're really going to enjoy. Well, you know what? Um, okay, I'm going to be so boring in this answer. Uh, I... Um, I, I love virtually everything, um, uh, you know, from the ABBA that we mentioned before, uh, you know, to Greek Sertaki music, dancing, uh, to, uh, frankly, um, you know, um, country music in the States. Mm -hmm. Love it. Absolutely love it. I think country music and Greek music are very connected in some ways, you know, because it's both about, oh, he left me, oh, she left me, oh, my heart is breaking. <laughs> Oh, I got to get them back. Oh, life lots sucks. Of, you know? Lots of tales so, of woe. Lots of yes. tales of woe. And in that sense, I feel that, that the American South and Greece are just one and the same. Everybody cries over a shot dog, that's for sure. <laughs> Mr. Ambassador, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being <laughs> Thank with you us. So much. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. That's it for The Takeout. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.